Take your Bible. Let's go to Numbers chapter 11. Numbers chapter 11. We'll look at a few passages within the message. We'll start here in Numbers chapter 11. Now call your attention to verse number four. And the mixed multitude, stop right there. God immediately identifies a problem in the nation of Israel. A mixed multitude. What does he mean? Well, obviously not everybody is all in. Not everybody's on board. There's been a mixing of some thinking. There's been some mixing of some doing. In other words, there are people within the camp of the Israelites who are sold out to God. They're obeying God. They want to do what's right. They want God's blessing. But infiltrating the group of God's people are those who have become sinful, those who perhaps have become apathetic, those who perhaps have lost their worship of God. It's a mixed multitude. I wonder as God looks at West Coast Baptist College this morning, does he see a mixed multitude? Does he see students sitting in chapel this morning who are sold out for God, can't wait for a summer ministry, perhaps graduating and going off to serve the Lord in the harvest, sold out, committed for the rest of their life to do God's will, but at the same time within the ranks, he sees the apathetic person who's here, obeying the rules, surviving the culture, but really not convinced that this is the life I really want to live. But then I want to ask this question as God looks at my heart. Does he see a mixed heart? Because I'm sure that all of us would say there are times when we're all in. There are times when we're engaged. Maybe it's easy to get plugged into God at chapel time. Or certainly when we stand to preach in a preaching marathon. Or when we're privileged to sing a special or perhaps work on a bus route. We have every intention to be all that God wants us to be in those moments. But then if we would honestly look at our life, there are times in the day when we wouldn't act anything like a Christian. Our hearts are not focused on God, but rather on ourselves or maybe some sinful pleasure. May I remind us today that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You can't be double-minded in a compartment of your life. Double-mindedness affects all your ways. We're unstable in all our ways. 
no man can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or else he'll hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You, you cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and the table of devils. In James chapter number 4, he says, Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. I, I fear that perhaps there are students here this morning, maybe even faculty members, who would say, I just need to survive five more days, you know, and then I won't have these rules, and I won't have this discipline, and I won't have to, you know, go to chapel, and I won't have to read my Bible, and I can just kind of, do my thing for the summer. There are three groups of people within the ranks of this mixed multitude. There are some quitters, there are some campers, and there are some climbers. You say, Brother Gutch, I'm really disappointed this morning. You always alliterate your messages. And we're going to talk about quitters, campers, and climbers? Well, I prepared this message in Kentucky, and in Kentucky, all three of those words start with the letter K. So, so we're going to be fine. But let's read about the quitters. Verse 4. And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting. And the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely. The cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our soul is dried away. And there's nothing at all beside this manna before our eyes. I looked up the word quit in the dictionary. And there's a couple of aspects to the definition. It means to depart or leave. Well, that's typically what we would think of someone who quit. If someone quits the team... Well, they left. They're no longer on the team. They, they departed from the team. They, they, they quit. If someone quits school, they're, they're gone. They, they, they left. They decided they didn't want to be here. Someone quits a church. They, they no longer come. They, they, they've, they've departed. But the other meaning of the word quit is to stop or cease. So on one hand, the word quit means to depart or leave, but the other meaning is to stop or to cease. You know, you could be here this morning at West Coast Baptist College. You haven't departed. You, you didn't quit in, in the sense of you didn't go home. But you stopped growing. You, 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 you ceased giving your all to the class. You kind of checked out of your ministry already. There's a lot of people that are married. They, had, they haven't divorced. They haven't separated. But they've ceased loving each other. They, they've stopped being best friends. 
there's a lot of people in our churches that they're still a member. They, they, they haven't given up their membership. They, they, they still come, but they don't serve. They, they, their hand's not on the plow. They haven't departed or left in that sense, but they've stopped. They've ceased doing what God wants them to do. Now, now think about this in the context of the summer. What will you stop? What will you cease to do that you know is right to do? There's some characteristics of the quitter here in this passage. I see that quitters are always wavering. You notice here in verses 4 and 5, they, they began to, to complain. They fell a-lusting, and, and they said, uh, they wept, and they said, uh, we, we want some, some uh, flesh to eat. We, we remember the fish and the, and, the, and the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic back in Egypt. Now, it wasn't the food that they craved. It was the lifestyle. Egypt is a picture of sin, and, 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 and the children of Israel, God's people, had been in bondage in Egypt. And, and they remembered the culture, they remembered the food, and they remembered all these things that they enjoyed back in the world. And now that they're like, eh, you know, we're tired of the same old manna every day. We want to go back to the old culture. Quitters are always wavering. You see, they're not content where God has them in their life right now. They, they, they want to go back to something they had before. They want to run ahead to something that's out there uh, that they desire or crave. Can I remind us that godliness with contentment is great gain? We brought nothing into this world. It is certain we can carry nothing out. Having then food and raiment, let us therewith be content. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. Quitters are always wavering. But secondly, quitters are always whining. These people are complaining. They're, 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 they're saying to Moses, hey, we're tired of this, this manna. Remember when the manna first fell, how excited they were about it? How, how good that tasted? And how, how blessed they were to have God's provision every day, just enough. But now, yeah, we're tired of this old manna. We, 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 we want something else. And they began to complain. They began to whine. I saw a bumper sticker. It said, stop global whining. Proverbs 19, verse 3 says, the foolishness of man perverteth his way and his heart fretteth against the Lord. When we complain, we're not complaining about a rule. We're not complaining about a facility. We're not complaining about a person. We're complaining to God. God placed us in this place where we are. God put us in this circumstance for a reason. And when we gripe, when we complain about something we don't like, we're fretting against the Lord. I like the question in Lamentations 3 and verse 39. Wherefore doth a living man complain? Do you know what the alternative is to living? Would you rather have that alternative? God can accommodate it. I mean, if you're tired of living, all you do is complain about living. There is an option. God can take you home. 
God can take us out. We're to do all things without murmurings and disputings. Do you know that more people died in the Old Testament from complaining than any other reason? You add up all the people that died in wars, all the people that died in famines, all the people that died in the Old Testament, more people died from complaining than anything else in the Old Testament. Check it out. And yet we complain about everything. We complained a couple weeks ago, it was so cold. Now it's going to be so hot. Right? We're prone to whine. Quitters are always wavering. Quitters are always whining. Quitters are always wayward. Look up at verse number one. When the people complained, it displeased the Lord. God wasn't happy with these people. They were, they were quitters. In fact, in the New Testament, Paul refers to this crowd in 2 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 10, where he says, Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Quitters. Maybe you haven't left the faith. Maybe you haven't departed from your church or from the college. But have we stopped? Have we ceased to love the Lord? Have we stopped serving? Have we stopped giving? Have we stopped what we know is right to do? Quitters. But let's look at a second group, the campers. Go to Numbers chapter 13. Now by this time, Moses has selected some spies to go into the promised land and check it out. You know the story, but let's refresh our mind. In verse 17, Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan. And he said unto them, Get you up this way southward and go up into the mountain and see the land, what it is, and the people that dwelt therein, whether they be strong or weak or few or many, and what the land is whether that they dwell in, whether it be good or bad. And what cities they be that they dwell in, whether in tents or in strongholds. And what the land is, whether it be fat or lean, whether it be wood therein or not. And be of good courage and bring of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the time of the first ripe grapes. So they went up and searched the land from the wilderness of Zin unto Rehob as men come to Hamath. And they ascended by the south and came into Hebron, where Ahiman and Shishai and Tamai and the children of Enoch were. Now Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. And they came unto the brook Eskol and cut down from thence a branch with one cluster of grapes. And they that bare it between two upon a staff, and they brought it of the pomegranates and of the figs. The place was called the, uh, uh, the, place was called the brook Eskol because of the cluster of the grapes which the children of Israel cut down from thence. And they returned from searching of the land after 40 days. And they went and came to Moses and said to Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel unto the wilderness of Paran to Kadesh and brought back word unto them and unto all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, they said, We came into the land whither thou sentest us and surely it floweth with milk and honey and this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land. And the cities are walled, and very great. 
And moreover, we saw the children of Enoch there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we're well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought an evil report of the land which they had searched under the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. You know what they were saying, uh, Moses? Uh, we decided we're okay with manna. Moses, you know, I, I know we gave you a hard time. We, we complained about the manna, but we went in and, and, and Moses, it's, it's, it's a beautiful land. It, it's a great land. And look at this stuff. I mean, it's amazing. The land has plenty everywhere you look. But Moses, there's giants there. They're stronger than we. We, we can't conquer that land. Moses, let's just camp here. It's very easy in your Christian life to become a camper. It's very easy for God to bring you to a certain part of your life or a certain point in your life, and all of a sudden you say, uh, Lord, this is getting scary. Lord, I don't know. This is a little more commitment than I thought. Lord, Lord, this is a little more expensive than I thought. Lord, this, this takes a little more time than I thought. Lord, Lord this... This takes a little more energy that I'm willing to give. And, and Lord, I, I'm okay just, just staying here. That's the reason there aren't laborers in the harvest. There are enough young people that are saved in our churches to meet the need of the world. And God's called enough people to fill all the pulpits and reach all the mission fields and translate all the Bible verses that need to be translated. But what happens is, on our journey, we start to think about camping. And we say, I'm just going to settle in here. This is more comfortable. It'd be easier for me just to, you know, work a secular job and, and be a good layman. Be a lot easier just to, you know, make a good living and, and, and not have to worry about, about people's problems and, and trying to lead people. It'd be just easier for just me to be me and, and, and my family and, and take care of myself. And, and Lord, let me, just, let me just camp. We reach a comfort zone. And God tries to stretch us. God tries to take us that next step. Some of you perhaps have said no to even summer ministry because you didn't want to be stretched. You said, no, I'm tired and college is busy and I just, I just need to take summer off. I, I, don't, I don't want to be on a schedule. I, I, I don't want to have to go soul winning all the time. And I, I don't want to have a ministry. That way I can just be free to do what I want to do. Real easy to camp. It's real easy for pastors to camp. 
Get the church up to about 300. Now they can pay your salary. Hey, that's good enough. Doesn't matter about people in my community going to hell. We're good. We're happy. We have a nice congregation. Let's just camp here. Churches like that all over America. It's real easy to camp. But notice campers are doubters. Verse 31, the men that were, went up with him said, we be not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. Hey, what happened to the promise that God had given that every place that the sole of their foot would tread would be theirs? What happened to the promise that God had given Moses that this land was theirs, that he'd already given it to them, but now they're doubting the promise of God? They're, they're, they're doubters. Remember, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You can't always see what God is going to do or how he's going to do it or where he's going to do it or when he's going to do it, but by faith we please him. It's an interesting question in Luke 18, verse 8. It says, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? Before the Lord left this place and ascended back to heaven, he pondered the question, when I come back, will anybody be living by faith? Are you living by faith? He said, well, yeah, I've had to pay my own school bill. I'm living by faith. But are you living by faith for your future? Are you just placing your hand, your, your life in God's hand, say, God, do whatever you want with it. I'm good. I'll trust you. Campers are doubters. You've got to decide, am I going to be a boat rider or a water walker? And if this world's going to change, we've got to have some water walkers. We've got to have some people that are willing to step out of the boat by faith and walk on some water. Anybody can ride the boat to the other side. Campers are doubters. Campers are discouragers. Did you notice in verse 32, they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched under the children of Israel. They give their report to Moses. That's one thing. Moses, we don't think we can do it. Moses, we don't, these are, they're giants. We, we can't do it. But then they went to the people and they spread this evil report. They began to discourage others. They did their best to discourage the whole multitude. If we're not careful, we can become good at that. We can become good at discouraging others by our complaining by our doubting, by our fears. Campers are doubters, they're, they're discouragers, but notice campers are defeated. In verse 33, when there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. You know, they were beat before they ever played the game. When I was in college, we played a school in football, we had 18 guys on our football team. Now, you need 22 just to practice. We had 18. <laughs> First year of football at that college, we had 18 guys. It was amazing. We had to rent a field to play on. We didn't have our own field. Didn't even have a bus to take us to the field. Had to walk. Try walking downtown in a helmet and shoulder pads. You get a lot of strange looks. 
had to walk to the field. We got to the field one day, we're warming up in the end zone. The other team, team's bus pulled into the parking lot, a Greyhound bus. Behind that bus was another bus. And then a third bus. <laughs> and then two vans, all full of football players. They had 90 guys on their team. 90. We had 18. First bus, doors open, guys started getting out. They didn't have their shoulder pads on because you can't sit on a bus with shoulder pads, so they were carrying their shoulder pads and helmets. They were dressed otherwise. And these guys are getting off the bus, and I'm seeing guys, I mean, they were huge. Huge. And they're getting off the bus, and, and they, started, they started putting their shoulder pads on and their jerseys, and I'm seeing numbers like 10, 22. And I'm thinking, these are the... These are the skill players. They're all bigger than us. The second bus had the, the tackles and the guards and the defensive ends. These guys were mammoth. Guys with shaved heads. One guy had his, his head shaven and tape wrapped around his ears. Guys missing teeth in their mouth. I mean, it, they were the ugliest group of guys. And they never said a word. They got off those buses in total silence. And they lined up across the back of our end zone where we're warming up. They just lined up and stared at us. I'm leading the calisthenics. I'm saying, come on, guys, win this one today. Yeah. They're staring at us. And in silence, they walked across the back of that end zone, down the sideline, staring in at us to the other end zone where they warmed up where no one said a word. Never gave a command. Not one coach gave an instruction. They warmed up in total silence. Now, I learned early in my sports career, you don't worry about the guy. I got you, you're dead. No, you don't worry about that guy. It's all mouth, it's all talk. The trash talkers, you can beat them a dime a dozen. It's the guys that don't say anything. Watch out for that guy. You know what? By the time that coin flip happened, we were already beat. We were already defeated. We thought, there's no way. There's no way we can beat these guys. And some of you are looking at ministry that way. The devil's staring in at you. And he's intimidating you with that glare. And you've got a world out there that's become hostile toward your faith. And some of you are already defeated. You're saying, this can't be done. I mean, you guys talk about church planning, and you talk about missions, and you talk about serving God, and you talk about taking a stand, and you talk about living for God. Look, it's too late. Your generation should have done that. We're just going to have to survive. Campers are defeated. What happened to I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me? Amen. What happened to greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world? What happened unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us? Quitters, campers. But I want you to see thirdly the climbers. In Numbers chapter 13, we saw in verse 30 a climber. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. And of course, really there were two, weren't there? Joshua and Caleb. And these men said, Wait a minute. This evil report is not in line with our God. Let's go up and take this, this land. Well, what happened to Caleb? What happened to this climber? 
Well, turn, if you will, to Joshua chapter 14. We've got to turn a few pages here to figure out how this turns out. And by the way, all those pages you're turning past, there's a lot of words written in those chapters, but basically all that's happening between Numbers 13 and Joshua 14 is all the quitters and all the campers are dying. That's really all that's happening. Because God can't move anything forward with quitters and campers. He's got to have climbers. So all that's happening in those pages you just turned past is God's waiting for the years to pass when all the quitters and all the campers are dead. And now he's going to use the climber. And notice it here. In Numbers chapter 14, verse 6. Then the children of Israel Judah of, uh, of Judah came unto Joshua in Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said unto him, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God, concerning me and thee in Kadesh Barnea. Now we notice here that climbers are focused. Look at verse 7. Forty years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to espy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in mine heart. So 45 years have passed since Caleb had been a spy. 45 years have gone by. And all the quitters and all the campers have passed on. And here's now Caleb at 85 years of age. And he says, Joshua, you remember what God did in our hearts 45 years ago. He's focused. He's never lost that focus. It reminds me of the Apostle Paul. When Paul got saved on the road to Damascus, immediately, within seconds, God told him his purpose. When Saul gets saved on the road to Damascus, he later recounts before King Agrippa, he heard a voice that said, Rise, stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness to the Gentiles, to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them that are sanctified by faith that is in me. So moments after his conversion, God says, Paul, here's your purpose, to preach the gospel. And when Paul is putting his head on the plate for Nero to chop it off, he is saying, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. He never lost his focus. Now, there were plenty of times where Paul could have been a quitter. He could have been a camper. But the apostle Paul was a climber. And all the way through his life, he never takes his eyes off of what God had called him to do. Because climbers are focused. But notice, secondly, climbers are fervent. Look at verse number 12 here in chapter 14. Now, therefore, give me this mountain. Whereof the Lord spake in that day. For thou heardest in that day how the Anakims were there, and that the cities were great and fenced. 
If so be the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. Here's this 85-year-old man. I don't know how many 85-year-old people you know, but they're usually a little hunched over. Their back's bent a little bit. Their fingers are a little crooked, and their voice is a little bit raspy. But I, I can hear Caleb pointing his finger in the face of Moses and saying, Moses, you remember what God said. Give me that mountain. That mountain is mine. Give it to me. This guy's fervent. He's 85. He's saying, I'm not going to be denied what God promised to me. We need some fervency in the ministry today. We we need some passion about this thing. We we can't just uh, uh, go through the motions. We've got to be fervent. I think of Apollos. The Bible says of Apollos in the book of Acts that, that he was fervent in spirit, knowing only the baptism of John. Apollos hadn't gotten the last memo. He wasn't up to speed. Aquila and Priscilla had to pull him aside, and they had to say, Apollos, we've got to teach you some things about what's happened here. And Apollos, he learns what's going on, and he comes back, and the, he, he's, he, he now begins to preach that Jesus is the Christ. But Apollos took what he knew, and he was fervent about it. You might be a freshman. That's okay. Be fervent about what you know. Hey, if you know that Jesus saves sinners, you can go out and win somebody to Christ this summer. If you, all you've learned this semester is the Romans road, go tell somebody. You say, well, I haven't had Theology 4 yet. You may never have Theology 4. Brother Hauk may die this summer. <laughs> I'm just saying, let's be fervent about what we know. Brother Hauk didn't wait till he knew Theology 4 to start preaching the gospel. You know enough to stand up and preach, girls. Hey, the Great Commission is just as much to you as it is me, going to all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Amen. Now I'm telling you, you may not be able to ever stand in a pulpit because you're a girl, but you can stand on a doorstep and, and preach the gospel. Amen. And whatever you know, be fervent about it. Let's be passionate. General Booth of the Salvation Army said, look well to the fire of your soul, for it is always the tendency of fire to go out. And if you're not careful, the fire will go out this summer. It'll just go out naturally because you're not going to have a roommate to prod you. You're not going to have chapel every day to pump you up. You're not going to have preaching every day in class and all these things. You're not going to have it. So you've got to look well to that fire. You've got to stoke that fire by reading his word, by spending time in prayer, by staying around godly friends, by getting in church services. Climbers are focused. Climbers are fervent. And finally, climbers are faithful. In verse number 10 here, chapter 14, Caleb says, And now, behold, the Lord hath kept me alive, as he said these forty and five years, even since the Lord spake this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. And lo, now I am this day fourscore and five years old, and yet I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me. As my strength was then, even so is my strength now for war, both to go out and to come in. This man was faithful to the very end. Jim Elliott, the martyred missionary to the Auk Indians, said, wherever you are, be all there. Live to the hilt everything you believe to be the will of God. 
Young people this summer live to the hilt. If you believe you're to go home this summer and work a job, then you be the best Christian testimony at that job you know how to be. Live it to the hilt. Go to the max. Go the extra mile. Work harder than anybody in that factory or wherever you are. You live it to the hilt. God's called you to go to a camp. God's called you to an NBT. God's told you to take an internship at a, mission, at, at a church someplace or go to a mission field or work in Joshua camp. Whatever it is, let's not sleepwalk through the summer. Amen. Live it to the hilt. Be faithful. Jesus put it, or the Bible puts it this way, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I love the soldier's model. Says, if I falter, push me on. If I fall, pick me up. If I quit, shoot me. I like what one man said if I die drowning, look for my body upstream. Amen. Go down fighting. Go down running your race. Don't quit. Don't camp. Let's climb this summer. We come back in here last week of August, and we have our first chapel. Let's not start over. Let's not have to take weeks to get all the summer out. The leeks, the onions, the garlic. How about we just climb this summer? We come back and just take the next mountain range. Amen. Graduates, be a climber. Be a climber. 